All right, good morning. Welcome to Hope and Anchor Church once again. Hey, guess what? We're starting uh, our teaching time. We're jumping back into our Rock of Ages series, which this is week number 25, I do believe. I am correct. Uh, our learning adventure with the Apostle Peter. Uh, and this week's message is called Watching and Waiting. Watching and Waiting. As you might recall from last week, uh, I broke some pretty important news, some pretty exciting news that we had finished Peter's first letter. So we were Alfine, DC Alfine, I guess, with 1 Peter. And today, get excited, we are starting 2 Peter. Today is the first Sunday in 2 Peter's, or Peter's second letter. So we are at a transition point. We finished up his first letter to the believers in Asia Minor, in which he was encouraging them to persevere in the faith. If you had to distill all of what the Apostle Peter had to say in his first letter to his readers, it would be fair to say it was to persevere in the faith. Why did they need to persevere in their faith? Do you remember? They're being tempted, right? What else? Yeah, persecution and suffering. There were just being a, there were attacks from all aspects, all sectors of society coming against them. Governmental, uh, uh, in the marketplace, uh, just their 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 uh, family and friends were coming against them at times. Peter's readers were often suffering persecution, facing difficulties in their various locations. Why? Because of their identification with Jesus Christ for no other reason but for their identification with and fidelity to Jesus Christ. Peter had assured them that in their sufferings, they are truly sharing in Christ's sufferings, and in doing so, they are being proven as part of God's family. This was, this, uh, for me, probably the most unexpected thing that Peter had to say. It's like, in your sufferings, you're sharing in Christ. But through those sufferings, you are being shown to be a part of God's family. I mean, well, that's remarkable. That these things aren't a, aren't a sign or a symbol of God's disapproval. It's actually more and more of confirmation that you are part of God's family. He, he Peter, encourages them toward faithful endurance, being mindful of the gospel hope and opportunities in the time given uh, and in all their relationships. He wants to keep their, uh, help keep them focused on, even though they're having to endure and persevere, that their uh, time is rife with gospel opportunities uh, and that they should have hope of the gospel in all of their relationships, seizing those opportunities. And Peter wasn't speaking only theoretically. Okay, he wasn't saying, hey, I know you're going through a lot of hardship. Uh, I sympathize or I empathize. No, this wasn't theoretical to him. He was, he was suffering too, right? He was living under persecution as well. And he would ultimately be martyred for the faith uh, in Jesus. He would be killed for his faith in Jesus. Uh, the Bible website called YouVersion, you may be familiar with it, uh, has this to say about uh, that situation. Around A.D. 65, the Apostle Peter was imprisoned in Rome by the Emperor Nero, and he realized that he would soon be executed. 
Since he was an eyewitness of the ministry of Jesus, he decided to write another letter to the believers he had written to before, confirming what they had been taught about Jesus. So Peter wants to seize this opportunity. He senses that the end is coming for him as he's been imprisoned and as he's facing imminent execution. So he says, what's the best use of the time I have left? I want to write to my fellow believers and I want to emphasize, I want to confirm in them that what you've been taught about Christ is true and trustworthy. So Peter, in his, he turns his attention to a new theme in his second letter. We said in his first letter, his theme could be called uh, persevere in the faith. Uh, so hold fast. The theme of his second letter, I would say, is hold on to hope. So hold fast. But the, second theme, the theme in his second letter would be hold on to hope. Wait patiently. Uh, the NIV study Bible notes... Uh, explain it this way. In his first letter, Peter feeds Christ's sheep by instructing them how to deal with persecution from outside the church. In his second letter, he teaches them how to deal with false teachers and evildoers who have come into the church. More specifically, his purpose is threefold. Number one, to stimulate Christian growth in chapter one. Number two, to combat false teaching, which is the theme of chapter two. And number three, to encourage watchfulness in view of the Lord's certain return. And that's the thrust of chapter three. Do I need to cover those again for the note takers? Okay. In his first letter, Peter feeds Christ's sheep by instructing them how to deal with persecution from outside the church. In his second letter, he teaches them how to deal with false teachers and evildoers who have come into the church. More specifically, his purpose is threefold. Number one, to stimulate Christian growth, which is the focus of chapter one. Number two, to combat false teaching, which is the focus of chapter two. And number three, to encourage watchfulness in view of the Lord's certain return, which is the thrust and focus of chapter three. So bear this in mind, this framework that you've been given, bear this in mind as Peter opens his letter to his often beleaguered and anxious flock, those who are under his care in the churches of Asia Minor. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's read uh, starting in verse 1. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to you, to, I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love for everyone." 
The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, kind of an extended passage, a lot there, and rest easy. We will return to this passage next week for a more in-depth look. But for now, I want us to stand next to our first century brothers and sisters. I think this is always a helpful practice to imagine yourself in that first century setting. Imagine the world around them, the situations that they're familiar with in that time. Imagine what it was like to be a Christian a few decades after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, living in an increasingly hostile world. What must that have been like? Every day when you went out, you were maligned. Every day you were misunderstood. You were enduring poor treatment in the neighborhood in the marketplace, and at the hands of the government. So, it had to raise the question, where is Jesus? What had Jesus promised to them when He ascended? He would send the Comforter, but even more tangibly, what did He promise? I'll come back for you. I will come back for you. And take you to where I am. He promises this to them. So I can only imagine that as things got really dark and difficult in my life, and I saw the world just going, to, going, to, going down such dark pathways, dark and destructive pathways, I would be crying out, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? Why are you allowing all of this to happen to us? I mean, I don't feel very chosen. I mean, we're your special possession, your very own family. We're kind of being dumped on here. Do you care? Why don't you come and rescue us? You said you'd come back, and this would be a perfect time. Right? Have you ever found yourself asking those questions? Times are tough. You're feeling like you're so misunderstood, you're so mistreated, and it's just like, man, this would be a great time for a trumpet to blast, maybe Jesus come back, you know, behold, he comes riding on the clouds. Bring it now, you know. Right now it would be great, Jesus. Why don't you come back? Why do we have to wait? Why do we have to endure such hardship? Jesus had promised to come back. Jesus had promised to rescue and redeem his people. And there was a growing sense of anticipation, yes, but also frustration in the waiting. That's a very human response, isn't it? Frustration in the waiting. I don't have to explain what that feels like. I can look around the room and I know a little bit of a lot of your stories. And I know that you're um, familiar with that frustration that comes from waiting. And there's this deepest one of all that says, Jesus, come quickly. Deliver us. Dry our tears. Heal our brokenness. And make all things new. Please. Today would be perfect. I mean, look at the weather. This would be great. This would be a great day. Come back today, please. Surely Jesus was telling the truth, right? Surely Jesus meant He'd be back soon. 
It would make a lot of sense that he would come back when it mattered most, when the world was increasingly wicked, and when the church was under attack from both outside and inside. This would be the perfect time. This seems like the stage is really set for a grand entrance, Jesus, for you to come back and remove all doubt and maybe punch people in the mouth while you're at it. <laughs> Break the teeth of the wicked, right? I mean, we start sounding like the psalmist a little bit. Like, come back and bust some teeth, Jesus. I'm ready, you know? Yet, still Jesus tarried. Even in the darkness and difficulty, there was no sign of coming deliverance. And the false teachers, I mean, it's one thing to defend against the persecution and oppression from, the out, from outside forces, outside the church, but now false teachers had come into the church and were wreaking havoc, gutting the local congregations. That's painful. That's hurtful. They were wreaking havoc inside the fellowship. So Peter wants to write to them and reassure them of their Christian hope and ground them in the promise of Christ's return and how that is connected to God's grace and mercy being expressed to us. Okay, that's the key connection he wants to make, which he'll make in chapter 3. But the delay in Christ's promised return is firmly rooted in God's grace and mercy that He has determined to show to mankind and to all creation. version on, on the inter interweb goes on to explain it this way. As you will see in the final part of the letter, Peter explains that the Messiah's return has been delayed. Why? Because God wants everyone to repent. God wants everyone to repent. That is why Christ's return has been delayed. Our proper response is to live good lives filled with hope since we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Why is God waiting? Why is Jesus tarrying? Why is it taking so long for Him to come back? Does it help for there to be that, that shift in our understanding? It's like, oh, it's because God is so merciful that He wants to give every opportunity for people to come back to Him, to repent, to turn from their sin and turn to Him. He wants the, the, the hope of the gospel to be shared and accepted by all who will for as long as possible. Because when Jesus comes back, the age of grace is over. The way is shut. And that'll be a, uh, just a, a dramatic and terrible day in the world, terrible in the classical sense, right? So we ought to share in that hope. It's like, yes, all we want all to repent, so we will wait. We will wait patiently, and we'll hold on to hope so that more and more will come to faith in Jesus. Look at uh, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. This is kind of a sneak preview. Hopefully no one's just... I'm not spoiling things here, but look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. How does that make you feel? I mean, what does that do in your mind? It's like, it's for our sake. 
Something about this delay, this thousands of years of waiting, has been for our sake, for the good of mankind, that more and more would be redeemed and restored to God's family. It's for our sake, so don't be impatient. He says, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Have you ever heard the story of Lieutenant Hiru Onoda? Anyone? Hiru Onoda? This is a unique moment in my ministry. I'm going to invite you, if you have a smartphone, you can look at the Hope and Anchor Facebook page right now because I posted two pictures of Lieutenant Hiru Onoda because I couldn't project them very well today. So you can look real quick, but then be done. <laughs> or I'll lay into you something fierce. No, uh, there's pictures on the Facebook page of, of Lieutenant Hiru Onoda. Uh, he served in the Japanese Army during World War II. Born in March of 1922, Onoda was eager to join the Imperial Japanese Army in 1940 in order to fight against the Allied forces in the Pacific Theater. Everyone familiar with the Pacific Theater versus the European Theater in World War II? Right. Onoda, he enlisted and he trained as a commando in Tokyo, learning guerrilla warfare tactics, covert operations, propaganda methods, and martial arts. Later in the war effort, Lieutenant Onoda was sent to the island of Lubang, uh, Philippines, or Lubang, in the Philippines to help, rebel, re help repel invasion efforts by the American forces. Soon, the Japanese were being overrun. They were being overpowered by the U.S. forces, so the Japanese uh, retreated from the island, leaving only a few selected soldiers uh, behind in order to continue sabotage opera operations. Onoda's, Onoda's commanding officer, Major Yoshimi Taniguchi, gave him orders to stay and fight as long as necessary, to never surrender, making Onoda a promise that he would return for him. Major Taniguchi, uh, Taniguchi assured Lieutenant Onoda, it may take three years, it may take five, but whatever happens, we will come back for you. So, even after Japan surrendered on August 15, 1945, and the war ended, Lieutenant Onoda continued fighting from the forests of Lubang, stealing cattle, burning houses, and occasionally shooting at soldiers. For years, Onoda survived in the remote mountains, living off of the land, growing simple crops, ste stealing food, and faithfully obeying his orders to stay and fight. Filipino and American search parties were sent out on several occasions following the end of the war to find Onoda and let him know that the war was over. Paper leaflets were airdropped at times to tell him, come home, come home. You don't need to be out there any longer, come home. Even seven years later, when letters and family photos were airdropped over the forest where Onoda was hiding, he dismissed them as fake news. We're not the first to have the whole fake news thing. He's like, no, these are fakes. I refuse to surrender. This is the ploy of the enemy. Nothing and no one except Major Taniguchi could convince Onoda to stand down. Why? Lieutenant Onoda had been given orders. And he would obey those orders until his death 
or until Major Taniguchi himself told him otherwise. So, for almost three decades, Lieutenant Onoda fought on, still wearing his tattered uniform, faithfully discharging his orders from his hiding place on Lubang Island. During that time, during those 29 years, another war was fought in Korea. Another war was fought in Vietnam. We landed on the moon. The Beatles happened. Uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. The Ber Berlin Wall uh, fell. JFK was shot. MLK was shot. The Tokyo Olympics all happened. <laughs> he missed all these things. Uh, but Lieutenant Onoda, he was still fighting World War II. Lieutenant Onoda was fighting World War II until March of 1974. On March 9, 1974, Major Taniguchi, who was by now a bookseller back in Japan, he was located and flown to Lubang Island to meet with Lieutenant Onoda and finally give him new orders. So, I mean, imagine this. <laughs> Major Taniguchi is a bookseller back in Tokyo. They come to him like, hey, we've got kind of a crazy request. <laughs> Do you still have your old uniform? Yeah. Can you put that on? We've got an idea. We need to fly you back to Lubang. You remember that lieutenant we told, uh, you, you know, you told to stay there and fight? Yeah, he's still alive uh, and he's still fighting. <laughs> I mean, crazy town. So Major Taniguchi, he goes, he, they find him as a bookseller. He goes back uh, to meet with Lieutenant Onoda. So standing in the forest in his old uniform, Major Taniguchi stood before Lieutenant Onoda and handed him a formal order to stand down. As promised, Major Taniguchi had come back for Lieutenant Onoda. Now, 29 years later, and finally, Lieutenant Onoda, he surrendered his rifle and his sword, and finally, the war was over. Wild story, isn't it? This story is a cause for astonishment and amazement, and many will say, what a waste! How ridiculous! But... Put yourselves in Lieutenant Onoda's shoes and try to get into his military mind. He had been given orders, and he was going to obey them until given new orders by Major Taniguchi or by someone of equal or higher rank. Several of you here have served in the military. You know what military bearing does to you, right? You will stay and you will fight and you will not deviate from the orders you've been given. It's just drilled into you over and over. I mean, I'm not sure if I'd stay for 29 years, but that's a lot. So put yourself in his mind. He had been given orders and he was going to, out of military discipline, follow those orders until told otherwise by the one who gave him those orders or someone of equal or higher rank. Onoda's military discipline would not allow him to listen to anyone else to believe anything else until he had been told, until what he had been told came to pass, until Major Taniguchi came back for him. In a way, readers of Peter's letters then are being told the same thing, given the same sort of orders, being reminded of Jesus' promise to come back for them, whether in three years, five years, or even 2,000 years. 
We are to stay faithful. We are to uh, remain committed to the task we've been given. We are to watch and to wait and to be ready. Even when the world around us mocks us and ridicules us and tempts us to abandon our hope, we continue to live faithfully. We continue to trust in His promise. We continue to look to Christ's return, believing that what He said is true. However, unlike Lieutenant Onoda on Lubang Island, we are not persisting in a misguided quest. We are not pointlessly holding out in the face of imaginary foes. Our task is shared with our Christian brothers and sisters from the past 20 centuries, as we have all shared in looking for Christ and His return, as we have shared in holding fast to our faith. In His great mercy, in His desire for all to be saved, God is waiting. God is waiting. He's creating every opportunity for everyone to repent, all who will to repent, so be patient. Temper our eagerness and our desire to get out of here and to be rescued. Temper that with our, our, our patience that says God knows what He is doing and in His infinite mercy He's holding open the door for all who will come back in faith in Jesus Christ, all who will repent. So let's finish up here. Let's go back to First Peter, Peter, Second uh, Peter. Sorry, Second Peter, chapter three. Uh, let's read in uh, verses eight and nine, and then fourteen and fifteen as we close. But you must must not forget this one thing, dear friends: a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promises. Some people think no, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Jump down to verse 14. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And so, dear friends, while... Uh, and remember... Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. So let us not grow weary. Let us not lose hope. Even if we suffer while we wait, we hold fast. We hold on to hope. Why? Because we know that God in His grace is holding forth invitation to the world. And we're a part of that invitation. We're a part of that sharing of invitation. May we remain diligent and steadfast until that day when we stand before Jesus Himself. May we remain diligent and steadfast until that day when we finally hand over our rifle and our sword and we hear Him say to us, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your Master's happiness. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would work that truth into our hearts. Lord, we, we, we're familiar with the restlessness, the discomfort that comes from feeling out of place in a very dark and, and uh, damaged world uh, among a people that seem bent on their own destruction. A people that uh, not only flee from the light of truth, 
but they actively reject it and revile it. Lord, just like uh, Peter was writing to his brothers and sisters in the first century, his words come at a very opportune time for us as well. God, we can feel that impatience and that frustration. God, why do you wait so long? Why, once again, is the world becoming so out of control, so vicious, so hateful of the truth? Lord, I pray that we would be mature enough mature enough in our faith to understand that it's because of your goodness and your mercy, the grace you've extended through Jesus Christ, that you're waiting. You're waiting because you know that, that <laughs> when Judgment Day comes, the age of grace is over, that all opportunity has ended. And that just, uh, that's a grave moment. And so God, we, we need to temper our eagerness for Christ's return with our gospel hope that says, you are being merciful, you're being patient in your desires that all would repent and all would come back into your family through faith in Jesus Christ. So I pray that we would, uh, we would temper our anxieties, we'd temper our restlessness with that hope. God, help us be more like Jesus. Jesus endured far more than we will ever have to endure. Yet he never lost sight of your heart and your desire for all to be saved. Your word tells us that you love the world so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him might be saved. You didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So God, may we be uh, in step with that vision, that, that desire that, that, just, that just emanates from your heart. Lord, grow us up in our faith that we would be able to, yes, hold fast in the face of persecution, but that we'd also be able to hold on to our hope and hold on to it rightly. God, be glorified in us. May we live good lives that invite others in to faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we make this prayer in His name. We're going to take a few moments to just sit with the Lord and pray and just say, God, help me in that. Because some of you have been pretty frustrated. Some of us want nothing more than Jesus to come back right now. And I feel it. I feel it. But I pray that God would give us each that divine perspective that says, no, 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 it's worth the wait. Because you can think about people in your life that haven't come back to faith in Jesus yet. They've never, been, they've never heard the gospel. That hope has never been theirs. When I think about them, I, I want Jesus to wait long enough. If they're going to come in, I want them to wait long enough that they would. I want them to know God's grace. So I pray that we'd be able to just kind of keep that intention, I guess, okay? So take a few moments here to pray, to sit with the Lord, and then we'll worship together and we'll finish up. But make the most of this opportunity.